Hello and welcome back to another book reading of Is Christianity the White Man's Religion? How the Bible is Good News for People of Color by Antipas L. Harris. And we are in part four of Where Do We Go From Here? The Streets Are Waiting, Chapter 10. And it begins with a new way to think about the faith. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That's from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. And let's begin. It is important that although, although most of the people throughout the Bible were people of color, the tenor of scripture points beyond ethnicity to a God who invites everyone to live as sisters and brothers. The Holy Spirit then empowers the church to extend this invitation to all of the world. We must listen to the Spirit and obey the Spirit's leading. Church is where believers prepare to go into the neighborhoods to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We must listen to the cries that are there. By listening, we not only discover needs, but also discover God's presence that is already in the complexities of ordinary life. When I first became a student prison chaplain, I thought I was going to take the Lord to the prisons. To my surprise, when I arrived, I found God was already there. I often tell people that I learned so much about God through spiritual encounters in the prison. Like the woman who met Jesus at the well in John 4, I told everyone I knew that God is in the prisons. My life changed and so did my theology. As a musician, I knew how to find God in beautiful pictures and sounds but now I discovered a deeper revelation. I found God in brokenness and it changed my ministry forever. Over the past 20 years, my own life challenges have strengthened my conviction. I can testify that God is closest to us in the vestitudes of life. No wonder I found God in the prisons. But so many people who are going through hard times cannot see God. The Christian task is first to be fully present with people. Then, with an approach of humility, express love, grace, and hope. The Holy Spirit opens their eyes as the Spirit also opens ours. So many people need to know that God is on the side of the wounded. It is our duty to show them. Given the upsurge of suspicion about faith, the Christian mission must not focus on growing churches. It must turn its gaze towards showing the world how Jesus came to love them, affirm their humanity, and offer them hope in despair. Listen, watch, learn, and participate. To give a straight answer to the title question of this book, Christianity is a faith that affirms all of humanity equally in God's eyes. 
both women and men in the ethnic and cultural kaleidoscope of human diversity are a reflection of God's beauty. The colorful Bible bears witness that no particular gender, nationality, or culture has a monopoly on the faith of Jesus. Biblical Christianity is God's love expressed in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to redeem a fractured world to the likeness of God. Any historical or current monopoly on the faith insults the purpose of the Incarnation. Jesus came to offer hope to everyone. What impressed Luke, who was a Roman physician and the writer of the two biblical volumes of the Gospel of Luke and Acts, was that God sent Jesus to extend his love to all the nations of the world. Luke's two volumes are filled with examples of how Jesus includes the excluded. So how in the world did Christian history evolve into so much bigotry, elitism, and hatefulness? God made his love for all of humanity very clear to the very prejudiced disciple named Peter. As a first century Palestinian Jew, all of Peter's life he was taught that those who were not Jewish were unclean. Peter carried his cultural biases into the ministry. God dealt with his lifelong cultural stereotypes through an encounter with a household of Italians in Acts 10. God showed Peter his love for the very people Peter did not care for. God sent people to Cornelius and his household to share the gospel. And that whole European family converted to Christianity. When Peter saw Cornelius and his household come to faith, he had a moment of revelation and exclaimed, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what's right. Acts 10, 34 and 35. None of Jesus' parables, sermons, and teachings belong to one nation, tribe, or ethnic group. The faith that originated with Jews quickly expanded when missionaries carried the gospel to other people and nations. The early Christian message was that faith offers participation in God's family. Regardless of one's racial or ethnic origin, regardless of one's life story, they belong to God's family. Any racial, ethnic, or even denominational monopoly on the faith undermines God's vision. So God needed to purify Peter's vision of the faith. Otherwise, the disciple who Jesus charged to feed the flock of God, John 21 and 17, would have missed out on his own calling. Likewise, contemporary Christians missed the mark when they explicitly complacent, complacency, complicity or in any way take part in racism. Exnophobia 
anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and any other bigotry. These are demonic tools used to sabotage the Christian mission to unify the global image of God. Where's the Christian party? This generation is in urgent need of new vision of racial and ethnic diversity. The world is becoming more integrated. The United States is more diverse than ever. The history of racism is now colliding with the future of an America that is more colorful than ever. Faith-led racial conciliation is necessary. Without it, a diverse nation risks tribal factions that will inevitably lead to unnecessary battles and possibly even civil war. Young people are yearning for a spirituality that affirms social justice in a world of social pain. Justice and righteousness are the hallmark of Jesus' message, but public religious statements on social issues often seem more concerned about what is believed than the hurting people who are alienated by such statements. It is imperative that Christians refrain from judging the LGBTQ community. Victims of rape and abuse, formerly incarcerated persons, the homeless, drug addicts, and people from other religious traditions. There are no special sets of sinners, just as there are no special groups of Christians. God's love will do whatever in eternal work that needs to be done. Imagine that instead of instructing Peter to feed my sheep, Jesus has said, be sure you announce your doctrine and political affiliation. The idea may seem laughable, but mainstream and evangelical churches in America may be doing just that. Twisting the gospel into a confessional religion and political platform. A few years ago, there was a political debate in Virginia Beach. It, I was not sure if I wanted to go so I did not end up getting a ticket. By chance, I saw a guy I knew who was going to the debate. He had an extra ticket and randomly asked me if I was going. I told him I really wanted to go but didn't have a ticket. He responded with a question, are you pro-life? Because I have a ticket for anyone who is pro-life, what he was really saying was, I will give you a ticket if you are Republican. To be honest, I was taken aback because the well-meaning young man was more concerned that I share his politics than that I share his faith. He already knew I am a dedicated Christian, but he needed to be sure that I was the kind of Christian that agrees with his politics. Otherwise, he was willing to keep a second ticket that he could not use. I try to be pro all of life, womb to tomb. I think that is what Jesus wants, but I'm not sure if there is a political party that would align with my commitment to follow Jesus. 
The church is Jesus' political entity. Party politics can never take the place of the church. And the struggle within the American church to assign God's will to a particular political party is a misrepresentation of Jesus Christ. There must remain tension between church and state, remain, remaining in con conversation, but keeping a wall between the two is good. However, there are forces at work that either try to remove that wall or to build the wall higher. The squabbles about party politics among Christians are not helpful to win young people back to the faith. The Jesus that millennials are most likely to be attracted to is the one who invites sinners over for dinner. He is the one most focused on the hurts and needs in the community. He is the one who glorifies God over presidents and kings. Christians have two options. We can retreat from the public square altogether or double down and bear witness to the revisioning of faith that affirms all people. There is a time and place for retreating, but Christians must no longer acquiesce. What then can the local church do to get uninterested young people back? Work toward attracting young people. In and out of the classroom, I've worked with non-traditional students, college students and teens. One thing is for sure, people are people. Everyone wants to be loved, affirmed, and included. I wish there were a silver bullet solution to repopulate our churches with millennials. I am often asked for my advice on how to engage this generation. I found that whether they are a pastor or business owner, the same points apply equally to both. Since young people are growing up faster than they used to, and parents are not as present in their lives, an important step to getting them engaged is consensus building. They want their voices heard. They want to feel like they are part of the solution. The Holy Spirit's presence within the church empowers believers to listen and interpret what other people need. The miracle of Pentecost in Acts 2 is more about hearing and understanding the language of another than speaking in another language. Next, we must recognize that times have changed. God's unchangeability is adjustable to changing times. This means that while the nature of God does not change, God's method is adjustable to where people are. Young people connect to the world with their phones and laptops, so you have to give them something to connect to that looks current. Today's generation experiences life digitally. Additionally, Christians must be authentic. Keep it real. While no one is perfect but God, God calls believers 
to faithfulness. Realness is not perfection. Realness is faithfulness. Millennials relate to authority differently than the previous generation. They do not have to listen and follow. The telling them what to do approach fails miserably. They are more apt to follow that which they perceive to be real. Now is the time to refrain from hyper-spiritual claims about being blessed and highly favored. We must admit that sometimes living seems to take the life out of us, even believers. It is the grace of God that loves us in our wounded and helpless state. Our sincerity and faithfulness to a God who is on the side of the broken compels people to the faith. It also draws other broken people to search of solutions to ask about our faith. Keeping it real gives Christians street creed that brings the right to be heard. In other words, authenticity earns the authority we need to share our faith. Parachurch groups as arms of the church. Some of my colleagues believe there's no such thing as parachurch organizations, PCOs, because we're all one as the body of Christ. Others argue that PCOs should serve as extensions of a local church. I argue that all ministries must serve as extensions of the local church. I argue this includes Christian colleges and universities, seminaries and schools of theology. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul calls the church the body of Christ. All PCOs, including those that engage in the practice of ministry and those that train ministers, are most effective when they attend to God's mission in and through the church. There are many existing PCOs that respond to particular needs in society, including InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Operation Blessing, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Chai Alpha, Crew Campus Crusade for Christ, Alpha Youth with a Mission, Young Life, Kanye West Sunday Service, Gideon's International, the Urban Renewal Center, Jake's Divinity School, Texas Offenders Reentry Initiative, and United Mega Care. These organizations have resources tailored to their context. Many of them have clear and intentional connections with local churches. The Urban Renewal Center is in our partnership with the First Presbyterian Church of Norfolk and other local churches in Norfolk, Virginia. Jake's Divinity School, Texas Offenders Reentry Initiative, and United Megacare are all PCOs that are in partnership with the Potter's House of Dallas. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, On this rock 
I will build my church. The church is God's idea, so any extensions must remain participants in Christ's mission for the church. Too often, people with great zeal for God build PCOs because they have a passion for a particular ministry and are frustrated that their local church is not attending to the need as effectively as they think they should. However, every believer is called to be part of the body of Christ to ensure that new believers are properly involved in a local body of believers. Parachurch ministries need a seamless connection with the local church. Otherwise, their efforts are relegated to humanitarian efforts, or worse, they share God's love in the world but perpetuate the epidemic of unchurched people. When PCOs maintain commitment to a local body, they exemplify faithfulness to the work of Christ to make disciples of all ethnic and or racial groups. Matthew 28, 19. We must remember two things about the Great Commission. First, a divine command to go into the world requires the Spirit's guidance. Evangelism and outreach play an important role, yet Jesus gave his followers the Great Commission to go into the world to make disciples. Second, the commission to make disciples is daunting without a pattern to follow. Jesus discipled his followers because to make disciples, one must be discipled. As Jesus did it, so must his followers. Discipleship involves teaching and spiritual formation that happens in the context of a local fellowship. Discipleship must, therefore, be the goal of every local church. People need a place of belonging to be formed into the likeliness of Christ. Re-envisioning Christianity for the future. Western Christianity is in a state of emergency. With the decline in church attendance and the increase of nuns, people who have no faith affiliation. Every Christian must be connected with the state of the faith. We need more creative avenues to extend the Christian reach. More importantly, it is imperative that pastors and Christian leaders seek a deeper understanding of the faith. In a spiritual desert, young people are growing unattracted to the church. While it may be true that this generation is less interested in organized religion, it remains hungry for relationship with God. Young people continue to look for identity, love, hope, and spiritual solutions to everyday problems. PCOs are avenues for the church to move beyond the boxed-in experience of faith and be creative. Also, PCOs are great ministry resources to partner with other community organizations. Creative partnerships may be on ramps for people who are reluctant to attend church but curious about what faith has to offer.
The church must also take seriously the generation's hunger for spiritual discovery. And its inception, at its, its, at its inception, the Church of Jesus Christ placed a premium on the Holy Spirit's person, life, and mission. The Holy Spirit is God's presence in the hearts of believers to actualize God's work in the world and local churches and PCOs are vehicles for the work of the Holy Spirit. Because people are not going to church like they used to, and the needs in the community are outgrowing the resources to address them, it seems that ministry has in many ways escaped traditional church practices. Many people are likely to come to church not even on Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day, or for a New Year's service. So while going out is theologically sound, going out may be the only way to know who is in the world. There is a dire need for more ministry efforts in the communities. There is a great need for Christians to invert, invest time and money in PCOs that extend the mission of the church in a hurting world. Over the last few years, I sensed the Holy Spirit was calling me to attend to bridging the church with the community. This calling became clearer as the Black Lives Matter movement took over the new cycle. The reactions to these events was hopeful on some levels, but unsettling on others. I found it hopeful because Black Lives Matter brought the conversation of racial reconciliation to the forefront, but with it came the unsettling reality of finally taking an introspective look at our own brokenness as a society. Our pride and prejudice finally began to reach a boiling point. I left my full-time faculty position at Regent University and began laying the groundwork of the Urban Renewal Center, URC, in Norfolk. The mission of the URC is to awaken society to its promised wholeness. The URC is a conceptual center of Christian thought and action. Because it is a PCO, we've built partnerships with other churches and organizations in ways that some local churches can't. However, the work remains intimately connected with the mission of the local church. I then moved to Dallas, Texas to launch the Jakes Divinity School at the Parter's House. Bishop Jakes is an exemplary global leader with a desire to extend God's love beyond the walls of the church through faithful witness to Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Divinity School is an arm of the church to raise up leaders to carry the banner of faith forward. We must look beyond now to discern the times leading into the next century. What should ministry look like for the 22nd century? Christian leaders must redeem the faith from perceptions that it's no more than a mechanism of power in the hands of good old boys. Ministry 
and ministry training must be vigilant to defend the faith in such a way that extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Ephesians 6.16 The 22nd century awaits ministries that are attuned to the technological revolution that has already begun. Ministries that are afraid of social media and resistant to incorporating contemporary technology will struggle to serve the needs in the world. Times are not regressing to rotary telephones and black and white televisions. It is imperative that we boldly bear witness in both the analog and digital spaces and in all venues currently under development, such as artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and nanotechnology. Theological education is an extension of the local church. It serves the need of ministerial formation for effective ministry in the church and society. For too long, seminaries have existed independent of the church. At best, they have looked to the church for students, but they have built their institutions as isolated ivy towers. However, the need for deeper study and more rigorous thinking demands scholars of the church to do research for the church and respond to tough questions including but not limited to race and racism, human sexuality, and systemic oppression. For three years, Jesus taught his disciples to, to evangelize, disciple, teach, pastor, and most importantly, what it means to love fellow human beings. There's a great need for theological schools that form innovative ministers to bear witness in a variety of areas such as business, neighborhoods, sports, cyberspace, and more. For this reason, at Jake's Divinity School, we seek to nurture students to apply their hearts, heads, and hands. Hearts of compassion and love for a fragile world in need of God's love. Heads that wander in search of God's truth, and hands that work to advance the kingdom of God in the world. Theological education must be positioned to harness the best of PCOs through innovative approaches for training ministers and pastors to impact the world. Importantly, theological education must also keep it real. People are no longer attending church simply because their families are Christians. However, people around the world are seeking spirituality that provides solutions to problems. Christians must be bold about their faith, but share it with humility and compassion for a world that is increasingly faithless. The world is waiting for moral leadership that defies the status quo and builds bridges between people. Everyone wants the same thing, to live well. 
The gospel is the good news that Jesus invites all of God's children to enjoy the abundance of life he has to offer. Jesus does not limit his promise of well-being to white, black, brown, or yellow people. His promise is suitable for everyone. Therefore, any monopoly on God's love, grace, and blessings is a diabolical stronghold in need of sharp objection. I can't overemphasize the need for Christians to engage in conversations about faith and culture. Despite a difficult history, our faith remains vibrant and practical for God's world. Christianity does not belong to any particular people who use it for social supremacy or nationalist agendas. Biblical Christianity is about a God who loves the world, the whole world. It is about a God who redeems all of humanity through Jesus Christ. Recentering God's Love in Christianity The characters in scripture are indeed a reflection of God's colorful world. The integrity of faith that exudes from the Bible affirms every single human being as an equal reflection of God's image. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Christians quote this all the time, but have we learned the full meaning of a God who loves more than white people, more than black people, or more than Jews? God loves the world. This means that God loves everyone equally, regardless of race, ethnicity, gender, religion, background, economic status, or ability. And so should we love each other. I hope you raise to the occasion and show God's love like never before, a love that is better acted upon than said. Love addresses structural concerns with an eye on equal treatment of all people. We need the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit to re-engage the world, to apply our hearts, heads, and hands, hearts of compassion for a fragile society in need of God's love, heads that wander in pursuit of the Spirit's guidance, and hands that work to advance the fullness of God's love in a world of ethnicities, languages, and social locations. It's past time to cease and desist, contest, and resist the, perpe the perpetuation of a faith that elevates privilege for some and oppresses others. Christianity emerged for a, from a colorful Bible with human equality as its vision. What we have experienced is an abuse of scripture and a traversity, tra travesty of the faith of Jesus. The resurgence of supremacy and elitism continues to peak its ugly head in a time of religious and political syncretism. 
as it has always been, the corruption of global Christianity has hinged on greed of money and power at the expense of the faith. The faith of Jesus Christ does not sanction creed, sponsored elitism, bigotry, or hate, nor does it retaliate with elitism, bigotry, or hate. In the famous words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Revisiting biblical history is necessary to rediscover God's love. A renewed vision of God's mission of love is refreshing. It reminds us that hate does not have the last word, and it bolsters a positive vision that pierces through any grim circumstances. It reminds us that Jesus came and experienced the horrors of earth's sorrows, but he showed us that the vestitudes of life can only keep us down for so long. His resurrection gives us hope that whoever we are and wherever we are in life can raise again. I pray that the pages of this book have helped to realign your spiritual awareness of both the world around us and the faith of Jesus. I hope that churches rethink their presence in their communities and seek ways to extend themselves beyond their walls. I hope that young people and emerging adults will experience a Christianity that has meaning and relevance for their everyday lives. We all need to know that biblical history is full of contributions from the kaleidoscope of ethnic culture and situational diversity. Followers of Jesus must live with an awareness that the image of God is reflected in every human being and that Jesus is God's expressed love for the entire world, even for those people who don't look like us. I pray that you've enjoyed the reading of Is Christianity the White Man's Religion? How is the, how the Bible is good news for people of color? I will now share the acknowledgments from the author, Mr. Anthropus L. Harris. Acknowledgments. The book is a product of many conversations, from the classroom to the church to the streets. There is much chatter about the state of Christianity. Its history is decorated with highs and lows, good and evil, ups and downs. At times, people in power have used the Bible and Christianity as a mechanism of oppression and even outright malevolence. And as we look toward the middle of the 21st century, with all of society's complexities and social challenges, there is no doubt that once again, 
the faith is on trial. I owe a debt of gratitude to my agent, Teresa Everson, at William K. Jensen Literary Agency for believing that this book is important for such a time as this. I am grateful for my students who push me to rethink about the state and future of Christianity. I am thankful for those who read the manuscript at different stages, gave input on the various chapters, and provided moral support. Ross Wood, Pastor Jim Wood from the First Presbyterian Church of Norfolk, my family and my colleagues at Jake's Divinity School in Dallas, Texas. I am particularly grateful for my team, Malika, Kareem, Alexander Fella, Joshua Lewis, Daniel, I'm going to mess this up, Ortiz, Ort, Ort, Sijimine, Amot Suka, and Gordon Tubbs. Without their assistance, the depth of thought presented here would not have been possible. Lastly and importantly, I wish to thank, to thank IVP for believing in this book and choosing to present it to the world. It has been such a pleasure working with the entire team from editing to graphics to marketing. I am delighted to be a part of the IVP family. All right, family, that is the end of our reading of Is Christianity the White Man's Religion? I thank you for sharing with me on this journey, for going with me, for following up, for listening, even as I messed up on certain words. I pray that I was able to go back over it carefully so that it would not distract or take away in any way from your reading and from your understanding. We will be engaging in our next book and one of my sons will be joining me in the next reading. I'm not sure which book we're going to choose just yet, but please stand by. And again, thank you as always for joining us on Live Today Health Talk and on Anchor is Health Talk Today. I pray that you have a pleasure in listening to our readings, our sermons, and even our meditation. Be blessed and stay safe.